And so we talked about the why make disciples. We should make disciples because it was the strategy of Jesus. Again, and that's all, that's all we know. We need to know. Remember, he said in, in uh, Matthew 28, which we'll look at here in a minute, he said, go make disciples. Okay, so could you imagine like telling, me telling my son, AJ, hey, go take the garbage out, you know? And he says, no. I'd be like, no, dude, take the garbage out. He says, no. But that's not what we do. We don't say, no, go make disciples. No, no, we put it into our mission statements at our church. Right? We put it, we put it on banners over our, I see it, we put it on banners on the way out. So it's more like me telling AJ, go make disciples. And he says, oh, yeah, I know that one. Go make disciples. No, I don't want you to say it back to me, AJ. I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care that you have that memorized. I want you to actually do it. You're supposed to be going and making disciples. And again, that is not a minister thing. People make disciples. The pastors are supposed to equip and the people are supposed to be doing it actively in the world. So when we ask them what is disciple making, they actually had a real answer for that. And by the way, here's one of the things that blew us, blew us away. It took us all week to figure this out because we didn't even know to ask the question because we were thinking of disciple making as a program in the church. So for them, here's what disciple making was. Here's what it boiled down to. They, they, would, they would engage someone outside of the church because when Jesus said, go make disciples, Peter didn't turn to John and say, I get Andrew in my Bible study. <laughs> right? That, which is what discipling is in our church. Are you in a discipleship group? Yeah. I lead a discipleship group, you know? So we think of discipling as taking smart Christians and making them a little bit smarter. But they think of disciple making the way Jesus meant it. We would call it evangelism. There's no such thing as evangelism to Jesus. It's called making disciples. So when he said go make disciples, he was talking about finding someone who didn't know Jesus and helping them to know Jesus. And so they went and actually shared their faith. And so at Victory Church, what disciple making was... It literally took us months to learn this because we had our preconceived notions about what disciple-making was. When we, what we realized it was is they would engage someone outside of the church. They would meet with someone and go through a little booklet with someone eventually. They haven't even invited them to church yet. They would lead them through this booklet, lead them to faith in Christ, and then say, you should come to my church now. So they would disciple, they would disciple someone outside of the church, engage them, lead them to faith in Christ, and then eventually invite them into the church and connect them into the life of the church. And now we're like, okay, now we know why everyone does this. Because their, their method was not just to invite someone to church and we'll do the work. Their method was, no, you engage someone outside the church. Here's, here, the pastors equip them with tools to do it, booklets in their case, and they say you engage them outside the church, here's how you do it, and then at some point you should invite them into the church because we want to connect them into the life of the body and, and teach them how to worship and get them baptized and all these other things. We're like, oh my goodness. That's why we're so broken. So we came home and not just had to figure out the how, which we'll talk about in the next session. But we, the first thing we realized we had to figure out is the what. We, we had to, if, we were, if we're supposed to make disciples, we had to answer the question, 
what's a disciple? What are we making? So before we get to the how, I want to make sure that you understand the the end product. Because if you don't have an end product in mind, you'll have no idea if you're making the right thing. You know, you've all seen fidget spinners. Most of you know what a fidget spinner is. Usually it has the three little, the three little arms and it spins around. Well, if you, if you had opened a fidget spinner factory and, and you started, you know, you've started make, put, putting out just tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of fidget spinners and they only had two of the little arms instead of the three, like you'd be in big trouble. Like nobody would buy those. Those are defective products. Someone would be like, wait, whoa, stop production. Whoa, hey, hey, stop production. We're not making the right thing here. Nobody's going to buy this. This thing doesn't work. A fidget spinner doesn't work with two of these things. It's got to have all three of them. They've got to be well balanced, and it's got to have the right things. And like, we got to know what our product is. It's, it's crazy that we know, when, when I say Kleenex, we know what that is. When I say Ford, we know what Ford makes. But when I say the church, nobody even knows what our product is. We don't know what we produce. We produce disciples. So what does a disciple look like? Because if, if you're going to go out from here today and start making disciples in your life and in your neighborhood and in your church and in your ministry, you better know, quality control, you better know what you're making. What's the product you're putting out? So we went, to, we went about to solve this question. And it took us a while, and it took us, it took us a couple of years to kind of work through this. And you guys get the benefit of all this in three hours. But it took us a couple of years to work. Th- you know, we went to the Philippines. We came back, and, and we're, we're, we're trying to figure out. We're asking these questions, and we're getting people in the room. And we're, we're, at first, we came back, and we said, we need to, we need to find the, the 10 all-stars in our church. Like the 10, 10 like, best inviters, because that's what we thought of right, as all-stars, well, they do what we told, tell them to do. We tell them to invite, you know. So the best inviters, and we got them in a room, and we're like, guys, how do you do what you do, you know? Like, just, we're taking notes, and we're picking their brains, and after that, you know, we're like, I don't know, man, I just want to tell people about, about Alpine Church, and I just invite them to our church. I'm like, man, that's why. Why do you do that, you know? And how do you do that? And like, we just open our mouths, and we say, you should come to our church. And we, after like two hours of interviewing these all-stars, we, when they left, we were like, that was stupid. Why did we ask these people? Because they're already doing it. We need to get the 10 morons in the church into our room. And so the next group, we said, you guys are the 10 morons in the church. We already tried this with the all-stars, and we needed fishermen, not Pharisees, right? So anyway, as we went through this whole process and we developed this whole, we, we started asking these questions and realized we had to define the end product first. We, we ended up with this image, with this picture, and some of you, maybe you've seen it. It's actually the logo on PursueGod.org, so you see this all over the place, and it's, it's, it's real simple. But this is the picture of a disciple. These are the marks of a disciple. And, I, and even as I walk through these marks with you, I want you to think about how you would say this at your church. Because we, the language that we adopted, we specifically wanted it to be number one biblical. Okay, So we want this to be very clear in the Bible. We didn't want it to be 100 things. We didn't want it to be you know, 50 things or 10 things even. We said we, it's got to be simple because we want to make sure it's fishermenable. We want to make sure a fisherman could do this. So what is it we're trying to produce? In my son, 
What, what, I want my son to be this, a full circle follower of Jesus. I want to be this. I want everyone in my church to be this. I want the next person I lead to faith to be this. I want to know when I'm entering into a relationship what my end product is for that person, what my goal is. And some of you are like, well, whoa, wait a second. Like, we shouldn't have expectations. We shouldn't have expectations on, we should just love them. What kind of horrible parent are you that you have expectations on your kid? Love them. Let them be who they want to be. Okay, so then how do you feel about letting them decide their gender at age five? Of course we have expectations. God has expectations on us. I'm not saying that we're trying to be abusive or we're trying to be controlling, but, but it, like the Bible says train up a child in the way they should go. That means there's a shoulda. There's a should go. This is, there's a should go. When, when God looks at us, he has a way we should go. He has something. It's all over Scripture. You'll see it now, all over Scripture. Every time I read anything in Scripture, I see this picture. It's all over Scripture. This framework is everywhere. He has something in mind for you. And that means he has something in mind for your kids, which isn't, by the way, that they abandon the faith when they go to college. And he has something in mind for the for, the, for your neighbor, if you're going to lead your neighbor to faith. And small group leaders, he has something in mind for the people who go to your small group because you're a pastor in your small group. A lot of small groups are just a smaller version of the big problem. And the big problem is we get people to come and listen to a preacher and they become consumers. But no, now we have small groups. So now they get to come listen to another person and consume off of another person. So we have a big problem at church. It's consu- we're, we're drawing consumers because they love something about it, the community or their teaching or their worship or something. And now we're going to make a smaller version of that. And now you guys come and now you get to consume off of me. Now you get to consume off your small group leader. It's a smaller version of you consuming off of somebody. So Jesus has a picture in mind for all of us. And here's what it boiled down to. Three things, three marks of a disciple. And I want you to think about whether these marks are present in your life. The first mark is that they trust Jesus, clearly. Because we start a relationship with God by trusting Jesus. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. So that one of the greatest things you can do for somebody is lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. So we trust Jesus, number one. The second mark, once you start trusting Jesus, you move on to this other thing. And we just call it honoring God. That, that Jesus doesn't want us just to, just to put our faith in him and get baptized. And now we just go to church every week. That's what changed now, is now I go to church on Sundays. Now I don't have as much time to watch football on Sunday mornings. That's what changed in my life. Jesus really changed my life. You know? Now I have to DVR the game, the, the Bears game. No, it's, we're supposed to honor God. He wants, us, he wants us to live a life that honors him. The Bible says that anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. And so that in Ephesians chapter, chapter 2, it says that we're saved by grace through faith. That's the first thing, trust Jesus. But in verse 10, it says, so that we can do the good works that he planned for us to do. So he wants us to honor him with our lives. So the second mark of a disciple is that they honor God. So the first one is they trust Jesus. The second one is they honor God. I want you to just pause for a second, and I want you to evaluate yourselves for a second. 
When did the, when did the first thing happen for you? Now, you know, we start by trusting Jesus, but we don't ever stop trusting Jesus. So you trust Jesus to get in, to be saved, to, be, to get into the kingdom. But, but then you continue to trust Jesus as you, as you grow older and new situations in your life. So you notice it's a circle because it's not, it's not linear. It's not like you just, oh, been there, done that. I trusted Jesus that one time. So you trust Jesus, you know, we call it your faith moment, your defining moment of faith when you first trust Jesus for salvation and then get baptized. That's awesome, and we love to celebrate that at our campuses. Every church should celebrate that. So the baptism thing, we actually, well, where do you think baptism would would go on this circle? Arrow one? It's kind of, yeah, we actually kind of put it right in between arrow one and two. Because it's because technically it's arrow one or trusting, sorry, getting baptized is one of the first most practical things you do to honor God. You don't get baptized to to be saved. You get you trust Jesus and you're saved. And then one of the first things you do is you get baptized because he asked because he told you to. So you're living a life that honors God now. And so we like to kind of put it right in between those two arrows. Is you should, you should get baptized as, a, as an act of obedience and submission to God. And that's just the first of many things that you might start doing differently. You probably are going to want to kick your porn habit. You're probably going to want to stop kicking your dog. You know, <laughs> like, you're gonna, like it's going to make you a better husband. It's going to make you a better son or daughter. It's going to make you a better worker. You're going to learn spiritual disciplines. We put that under honoring God. You're going to start like the stuff that, that we mentioned up here, what the things that a good Christian does. You go to church. You start reading your spiritual disciplines. You start reading your Bible. You start praying. All of that stuff we'd put under the honoring God areas. We're learning how to honor God with spiritual disciplines, with other things in our lives. So the first section is kind of like faith. It's like this, it's almost this mystical thing. I trust Jesus by faith, but I still have to trust Jesus through every new situation in life. But the second thing helps because I'm learning to honor God and I'm filling myself up with, with God and with his word and I'm learning to think right now and I'm, and I'm letting the spirit reprogram my thoughts and, and then my habits, right? And so these are the first two things. So when did you start trusting Jesus? And then maybe when's the, when's the last time that your faith was really tested? Because that's a trusting Jesus issue. Am I going to trust Jesus with this sickness? Am I going to trust Jesus with my teenager? Am I going to trust Jesus with a millennial? (laughs) Now we're really starting to come into some. So there's a lot of, again, as you think of this, this is a framework that we use is we're always learning to trust Jesus more. We're never done with that. And then honoring God, am I going to, what is the, here's a question for you, is what, is what is an area in your life where you need to step it up in honoring God? Some of you maybe aren't givers, or you don't give consistently. Like, that's an honoring God issue. God tells us to be generous with our money, so we should honor him with our money, not just with, not just with coming to church once in a while. Some of you have a, an addiction. Some of the people in your small group has a, have a porn addiction that because Darren hasn't gotten to that yet in a sermon, they haven't ever dealt with it. Well, you're the one supposed to shepherd them. So you have to help them in that area, right? Or in your own life, maybe there's some areas of honoring God that you need to step up. 
Maybe your, some of your spiritual disciplines have slipped a little bit. That's an honoring God issue. It's not a faith issue. You're, you're, you're standing with God hasn't changed. Like that's, that's solid. But, you've, but there's some areas of your life where you need to work, work on that second thing. So I encourage you to be thinking about those things. But then for so many churches, this is where it stops. For so many ministries, this is where it stops. And I'll confess to you that this is where it stopped for me because I never, I never realized Matthew, what Matthew 9 said and what Ephesians 4 said. I didn't, I didn't understand. Since I was probably 16 years old, I tried to disciple people. And this was my picture, just these first two things. I, if they hadn't trusted Jesus, I'd lead them in faith and I'd notch my belt, you know. Yes, one more, one more, notching the belt. And then I would help them, I would help them, you know, learn how to read the Bible and prayer, and I'd take them to prayer meetings at church, and I'd take them to church, and all, so I was really good at these first two things. But I, my picture wasn't complete. A full circle disciple does one more thing. That person makes disciples. And this is the thing that I think that was broken about our church. This is the thing that was fixed about the church in the Philippines. And this is what we're supposed to be putting out. And if we're not putting out the, this product, then we, are, then we are putting out defective products. I want you to hear that in your small group. Parents, I want you to hear this if you have kids at home. If you don't help your kid go full circle, you're putting out a defective product. And you should not expect your kid to continue to pursue God. Because it says it right here, look, in Ephesians chapter four, it says the pastor's responsibility or the parents are pastors at home. So the parents' responsibility is to equip the kids to make disciples. That's what your job is. If you, if you lead them to faith, that's great, praise God. If you, if you help them trust Jesus, that's great. If you help them develop spiritual disciplines like we've done with our kids, they read their Bible. I'm proud of my kids that they read their Bible every morning. They pray, they're learning, they go to church. They're good kids. They love Jesus. They're giving. They're, they do those first two things. But what we realized coming back from the Philippines, because you know what we saw in the Philippines? All the pastor's kids were super involved and on fire for Jesus. All the pastor's kids, whether they were 10 or 18, or 35. And I see pastor's kids in our country that don't even love Jesus. And I didn't want to go into ministry at the expense of my family. One of the biggest things I was afraid of was moving my, moving my family and having kids in Mormonville, and now they're going to be dating a Mormon and, not, and maybe not following Jesus. But look at, look at the answers right here in Ephesians 4. If the pastors and the parents do their responsibility and equip the people to do ministry rather than just, hey, kids, watch me do the ministry. Hey, congregation, watch me do the ministry. If we could get them to do the ministry, that means going full circle and making, actually making disciples. If we get them, here's what happens. This will continue, verse 13, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will all be mature in the Lord. So many ministries in America say, I'm going to train you and 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 train you. And someday, if you're mature enough, I'll let you go do ministry. Yeah. That's not what it says here. Yeah. It says verse 12 comes before verse 13, if my math is right. And I have a master's in math. <laughs> so if you throw, turn those into letters, I think that's probably right. 12 says, 
Pastors equip people to go out and do ministry, make disciples. And what will happen then is then they'll mature. Then they'll grow up. In fact, he goes further. In verse 14, he says this. Then, if this happens, if pastors start doing their job, meaning to equip, and if everyone else starts making, actually making disciples, actively making disciples, not just trusting Jesus and honoring God, then what will happen is this. They will no longer be immature like children, tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, which is exactly what's happened in our culture, which is exactly what happened in Europe. Because Europe fixed the theology of the Catholic Church, but they didn't fix the practice. And so you go to Europe today, nobody's a Christian. Why? Because they did ministry the way we're doing ministry. Pastors preach, nobody actually makes disciples. So nobody's internalizing the gospel. Nobody's internalizing the truth that they're reading because everyone's just a consumer. Everyone's consuming, and if all you're going to do is consume, you're never really going to buy into it. And if all you're doing is expecting your kids to come to church with you, and maybe, on, maybe the really good ones are going to go to a youth group with you, which is just the medium-sized problem of the bigger, or medium-sized version of the, pro, of the bigger problem. So they consume at church off of the senior pastor, and then they consume in youth ministry off of the youth pastor. We've just taught them to be consumers, and when they go off to college, they're going to just consume the next idea that comes. And that's why it says here, but if you, if you teach them to make disciples, then we will, they'll no longer be immature like children, tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. They won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so, so clever they sound like the truth. This is exactly what's happened to our culture. 80% of kids who grew up in the church bail on their faith. 80%. And that number's growing. Why? Because we broke the church. And the ch- we make the church about listening to people preach rather than making disciples. Jesus said, there's something wrong. I preached this awesome sermon and thousands of people showed up and I'm not happy. Because they need shepherds. And you're the ones who have to be the shepherds. Because when you shepherd someone, you'll grow and mature and you'll believe this. And then if you will shepherd them such that they shepherd, then they'll grow and believe this. And so this is the message of Jesus. This is the, this is the way that he wants it to work. So let me, just show you, let me just show you the most obvious place that this picture shows up in scripture, and it's the Great Commission itself in Matthew 28. Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That's the why, by the way. Why do this? Because he has the authority, not you. You can't decide what you want to do. You can't decide how you want to live your Christian life and what you think the products of your life should be. He gets to decide. And he said, I have the authority. Here's what I want you to produce. Here's what he said. Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey. Okay. Let's see where we see the circle in this. So baptizing them means what? No, baptizing them means what about the people you just discipled? That they're new Christians. So you taught them to trust Jesus. You're not going to baptize someone if they don't trust Jesus. So baptizing them shows that that he wasn't talking about starting Bible studies when he was talking about disciple making. He was talking about actually reaching the lost. So he said, baptize them, which means that they needed to trust Jesus. So there's the first arrow. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. What's that? 
honoring God. He, he doesn't want us to make converts. Amen. He wants us to obey all the commands. How are we supposed to obey all the Man, what pressure the pastor has now to preach all the commands in a systematic way, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You better not miss. You better not miss a Sunday because that's, that's how you're going to learn all the commands. No! That's why you need shepherds. Because there's a million topics. Start thinking about all the topics that someone needs to learn and understand in their, in their life. Like you can't even guess at it because everyone's an individual. So this guy might need this topic, this topic, this topic in this order. This other guy might need this topic, this topic, this topic, this topic in this order. Now there are certain topics we should all know. How to read your Bible, how to pray, you know. How to speak in tongues. So there's the second one. And then the third one is obvious in the commission. Go make disciples. See, this is, this is Jesus' picture of the product. The product is someone who is baptized because they trusted Jesus. And someone who is learning to obey all of the commands of Jesus so that their life is truly transformed from the inside out because the Spirit is at work at them. And then someone who actually knows not just to memorize this verse, but to actually do it. Because he was saying this to all of us. So Jesus wants a full circle follower 